This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Cooperstown, nothing personal word of the day for January 28th, 2021 is Cooperstown. Should have been the word of the day yesterday. Could not do a show yesterday. Uh, Yesterday was Wednesday. This COVID thing, Coke, I'll tell you right now, you start feeling a little better and then you feel worse and then you get a little better. You just have to really be careful. I I really hope that whoever doesn't have it, go get the vaccine, wear a mask, take it seriously because it sucks. Absolutely just sucks. So yesterday I was unable to do a show, but there was so much to talk about that we're carrying it forward. And we're doing one today with the word of the day, Cooperstown, because two days ago, the Hall of Fame in Major League Baseball made its announcement. And I wanted to really talk about it because it's getting so much attention. The story is not going away. I wanted to explain to you the role that Major League Baseball has with the Baseball Hall of Fame the relationship that Major League Baseball has with the Hall of Fame, my reaction to what happened when the Hall of Fame made its announcement, the fact that we knew it was going to happen because we had to wait to see that no one was going to be elected to the Hall of Fame and no one was in the class of 2021. So we got that wait to see right. And why I want to help you frame your view of who should and should not be in the Hall of Fame and why. So let's just start It's very simple. There are committees of people, the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. It's a very pleasant town. I've been there when Andre Dawson got inducted in 2010. It is a small town in the middle of nowhere. You fly to Albany and then drive, or you drive from New York City. And it is is truly, if you go to the middle of nowhere in New York State, make one left turn, one right turn, and look for some baseball diamonds, you will find Cooperstown. I never have understood why Hall of Fames are not located in big cities. When I was in Toronto and went to the Hockey Hall of Fame, it just made all sorts of sense to me. By the way, the Hockey Hall of Fame, Coca, is amazingly cool if you've never been there. Seen the actual Stanley Cup and all the interesting, interesting exhibits in Toronto. But like the Football Hall of Fame in Canton or the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, these are not big places. MLBs is in Cooperstown. The thing about the Hall of Fame is it is supposed to be a museum. It's called the Hall of Fame Museum. It's supposed to be a place where people learn the history of baseball. 
and they read about players who they have heard of but never watched play, or they read about players who they know about and did watch play. There are exhibits that show what the how the game has changed over the years. There is a tour you can go on. As a president of a team, I was given a what they call the white glove tour. It is amazing some of the perks when you are president of a baseball team. One of the best perks of all, other than being in a room with Don Mattingly, is that you get to go to the Hall of Fame and you get to go to the basement and you put on literally white gloves and you get to hold Babe Ruth's bat and you get to look at Barry Bonds' helmet and hold that, not a big deal. I got to do that without white gloves when he was a coach of the Marlins, but you get to just see the hitting streak by Joe DiMaggio, the 56 game hitting streak and how it ended in the actual scorebook. It's just amazing all of the trinkets. And often you hear players say, I'm donating some items to the Hall of Fame. Hank Aaron donated a lot of his memorabilia to the Hall of Fame. Ichiro has donated almost all of his memorabilia to the Hall of Fame. He will be inducted on the first ballot when he gets a chance to, uh, which is five years after his last game. I think this is his second season not in the game, so he's three years away. So you go to Cooperstown and you let history wash over you like a warm blanket. It's like living inside James Earl Jones's head in Field of Dreams. You just feel so good about the sport that you love. But Hall of Fame comes with amazing controversy. Always. It always has. For a player to be eligible to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, the player must be in good standing with Major League Baseball. That's the first thing, which means if you have been suspended or kicked out of baseball like Pete Rose, permanently expelled, you are not eligible to be voted into the Hall of Fame. So it's not that the writers have not voted Pete Rose into the Hall of Fame because they don't want a gambler in the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose is not in standing, in active standing in Major League Baseball, so he's not eligible. In order to get on the ballot, there is a committee who makes the ballot each year. And once you are on the ballot, you stay on the ballot until you either get 75% of the votes of all eligible voters, in which case you are elected into the Hall of Fame, or you get below 5% of the votes of all of the writers who vote, in which case you're taken off the ballot, or you get between five and 75 and you stay between five and 75 for 10 years. It used to be 15. Now it's 10. And on the 11th year, you are off the ballot. That's it. Those are the rules. There's no particular rhyme or reason who gets on the ballot. There are a group of people who get together and decide which players deserve hall of fame consideration. It is an honor just to be considered. Many players are on the ballot once they get no votes at all, and they are then off the ballot. Jeff Conine is an example. This year, A.J. Burnett is an example, among others who didn't get any votes, but were on the ballot, but now will be off. There are people who study the ballots and what percentage increase you need year over year to be on the trajectory to get in. There's always news stories about players who are entering the final year or two of their eligibility and whether or not they'll get the 75% required. 
in order to vote to be in the Hall of Fame, you are given a Hall of Fame vote by the Baseball Writers Association of America. It is writers who are members of the Baseball Writers Association of America who have been covering baseball principally for an X number of years. I think it's 10 COCA, but I could be wrong. And you can then be invited to be a Hall of Fame voter. It is a privilege, not a right. You get asked to be a voter. You can have your vote taken away at any time. But it is the writers who vote for the players. There are criteria that writers use when voting. They each have their own system, how they evaluate a player, whether he is Hall of Fame worthy. One of the issues that the Hall of Fame has for its writers to consider is character. <clears throat> it is unlike NFL where there is nothing off the field that is considered because that is what the Football Hall of Fame tells its Hall of Fame voters to consider. You do not consider anything off the field, which is why O.J. Simpson is in the Hall of Fame, by the way. If there were ever someone who had off the field issues, right? People may not remember O.J. Simpson is one of the greatest football players of all time, an absolute Hall of Famer on the field, not so much off the field, more like murderer off the field, and a convicted armed robber. So each year, there is debate about players. There's debate about who will get in, who will not get in, and it goes to a crescendo where an announcement's made on a Tuesday in January. And this Tuesday was the day. Rumors were that no one was going to get in. And I knew that was going to be the case. And the reason I knew no one was going to get in this year in the class of 2021, twofold. One, the player who was closest to getting in last year, who was likely going to get in this year, was Kurt Schilling. The second and third closest members from last year's vote were Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. We'll get into all that in a minute. But the reality is that because of COVID, the class of 2020 never got inducted into the Hall of Fame because the ceremonies were canceled last year. So Derek Jeter, the most beloved player, maybe of all time, he did not get a unanimous the way his teammate Mariano Rivera did, but came one vote short, I think. He was being inducted this past July of 2020 with Larry Walker and Ted Simmons. Ted Simmons was elected by the Veterans Committee, which is another way players can get elected after they have been taken off the ballot because of either the 10-year limit or the 5% issue. They never got their day. There is no way that the writers were ever going to allow Derek Jeter to share a stage with either Bonds, Clemens, or Schilling. It just wasn't going to happen. And Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling have another year of eligibility next year. And so writers said, you know what? Let's give Jeter his own induction the way it was going to be last year before COVID hit. Because remember, Jeter was voted in in late January when COVID was only in Wuhan. And we had no idea that we would be 425,000 deaths later and 25 million cases later. But here we are. Now I guess it's 25 million and one. So the debate that happens around Bonds and Clemens is a debate that we will talk about, we have talked about, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about 
because next year, Alex Rodriguez and David Ortiz, two other uh, steroid-tainted players, one who failed the test, one who didn't, one both who have been implicated, they are joining the ballot along with Bonds and Clemens. So it's going to be a very heavy steroid conversation. I don't want to talk about it right now. I do want to talk about Kurt Schilling because it is pretty important for you all to have a view here. And I want to give you, please, the parameters to think about where you stand with Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling, probably the best postseason pitcher, along with Madison Baumgartner, maybe of all time. Very successful postseason with the Diamondbacks, with the Red Sox. Had a very, very good regular career, but what made him different was his postseason career. Kurt Schilling retired in a uh, circumstances surrounding an injury that was not necessarily treated the way the Red Sox uh, should have treated it, and Kurt Schilling never forgave until now and never forgot the role that the Red Sox played in the end of his career. And since his career ended, Kurt Schilling has been a louder and more famous Aubrey Huff. Aubrey Huff is an admittedly very far-right, politically slanted person, likely a misogynist, likely a racist, and he has uh, a Twitter feed that is very offensive to most people. Kurt Schilling, when he was a player, was extremely well-regarded by the media, extremely well-regarded by the fans. No indication while he played that what has happened since he played would happen, which is he has become very, very far right in his views, very misogynistic, questionable whether he is homophobic or racist, but there is no question that his view towards journalists, his view toward the mainstream media, his view toward the very people who are supposed to vote for him is less than exemplary. He would have no issue and has said as much with journalists being muzzled somewhat permanently. And there are some who think that writers have chosen not to vote for him because they do not agree with his politics in this era of cancel culture. And that because he is a pro-Trump and very right wing, <clears throat> that he does not deserve to be a Hall of Famer. I do not share that view. The view I share is that it is the job of each writer to decide for him or herself or themselves how they want to characterize a Hall of Famer on the field, off the field. It is the writer's right to decide what weight they want to give to any off the field characteristics that a player has. There are plenty of players in the Hall of Fame who are politically slanted to the right. Mariano Rivera, as an example, is an absolute known Trump supporter and got 100% of the votes. 
The difference between Mariano Rivera and Curt Schilling is he was far less toxic publicly in his quotes and in his tweets. And it can be argued that Curt Schilling has tweeted his way out of Hall of Fame consideration. The inconsistency that some writers have with their vote, they vote for him one year, they don't vote for him the next. I have never understood I've never understood how a player gets 40% of a vote and then 50% and then 60 and then 70 and then 75. Why is Andre Dawson a Hall of Famer today, but not yesterday? Or Tim Rock Reigns? Or many other players who take years to get in? Writers tell you it's because their ballot was full. They can only vote for 10 people. There are plenty of writers who put in eight or seven or six players on their ballot. There's plenty of writers who put in blank ballots, which got a lot of attention this year. It was the most ever blank ballots. And they've been criticized by people. Nope, you cannot criticize someone for putting in a blank ballot. A blank ballot is a full ballot. The absence of voting for someone is an action taken by a voter that is the same as the act of voting for someone. There is no doubt about that. Anyone who tells you that they are critical of writers who submit blank ballots is missing the point of what a blank ballot is. When you are deciding as a loyal, nothing personal viewer or listener, please think to yourself about whether or not you want to live in a world where people whose views are different than yours do not get a platform with which to express those views. That's not a world I want. I want a world where everybody can express his, her, their views, and everyone has a right to those views, and I have a right to tell you I don't agree with those views. But what I don't have the right is to be punitive to those who don't view the world the way I do. Won't do it. I can be punitive when I go to the ballot box in politics. I can be punitive in terms of who I follow or don't follow on Twitter. But to be punitive for the sole purpose that I don't agree and therefore say, because I don't agree with you doing X, you may not do Y. I am not in that camp. If you voted for Kurt Schilling before, you vote for him now. Kurt Schilling has not committed any crimes. He's not a murderer. He may agree with what happened with the insurrection against the US Capitol. He may believe that all members of the media are left wing and out to get anyone who doesn't agree with him. He may believe that the world is not fair or just or right but that does not change his qualifications to be a Hall of Famer. What it does do is change my view of him as a person because I do not agree with anyone who calls for violence or who agrees with any sort of violence against our government, who doesn't believe in the transfer, peaceful transfer of power, who doesn't agree in the election results that were confirmed 
through all legal grounds, who doesn't agree that the election was not stolen or canceled. I don't agree with his view of that. But as a Hall of Fame voter, that does not take away his vote. Kurt Schilling went from 70 to 71% when he should have gone from 70 to 75. And then Kurt Schilling submitted a letter to the Hall of Fame saying, take me off the ballot box. I do not want to be a part of this process any longer. People are treating me in a way that I don't want to be treated. I am not racist. I'm not misogynist. I'm not homophobic. Whether he is or not, I don't know. I do know that his posts are incendiary. I do know that his posts do not help further a conversation of unity or peace. And I do know that his posts are extremely offensive to many people, including those who do vote for the Hall of Fame. Kurt Schilling did not help himself with that letter. He did not ingratiate himself to writers. But it doesn't matter. Kurt Schilling will be on the ballot box next year. Kurt Schilling will not get voted in next year. And Kurt Schilling will then be in the hands of the Veterans Committee, just like he asked in his letter. If you have time, you should read what he wrote to the Hall of Fame. It's long. He had a lot of words to say about other people in the Hall of Fame. He talked about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. He said that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are cheaters who are not accountable for their actions. He talked about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens having destroyed other people's lives to protect their own lies, much like what A-Rod did. He said, I have not done any of those things. I've protected my legacy. Those players haven't. He then talked about writers in his long opus. It is worth looking at, please. So you can then decide where you stand when it comes to the moral high ground of the Hall of Fame. There's been a lot of baseball news because spring training is supposed to start here in the next few weeks. The big free agents are starting to come off the board. JT Realmuto and what we told you would happen is a Philadelphia Philly again. JT Realmuto, when we drafted him, he had caught one game total. He was an infielder. And we drafted him with the Marlins. We made him a catcher. There were certain people in our organization who didn't think JT was going to make it, which is why we signed Jared Saltalamacchia in one of the worst free agent signings ever. But JT did make it. He's now the best catcher in baseball. When we approached JT with the long-term deal, long after we had gotten rid of Salta Lamacchia, long after we all realized that JT was going to be the best catcher in the game, JT said to us, I'm not going to sign a contract until you make me the highest paid catcher ever. And we said, JT, you haven't won any MVPs. You haven't won any World Series. You are not Buster Posey. You are not Joe Maurer. We are not paying you $23 million as a free agent. You have not even hit arbitration yet. You're a young player. And JT said, forget it. I'll go year to year. And we said we loved him. He said he loved us. And that was it. We paid him year to year. Derek Jeter traded JT to the Philadelphia Phillies. The Philadelphia Phillies traded the Marlins, their top pitching prospect, who is now one of the best pitchers in baseball. His name is Sexto Sanchez. The owner of the Phillies is furious that JT had not signed an extension before this year. 
because he did not want to be a part of having traded away good players to get a rental. So JT knew that the Phillies were going to trade him. We're going to sign him, excuse me. But JT also knew in this time of COVID, the Phillies had lost a ton of money. And the owner, John Middleton, had said to JT, we are not going to get you to $23 million a year. So JT started spreading with his agent thoughts that the Mets would sign him, but they signed James McCann. That hurt JT Realmuto's leverage. He then said, the Braves may want me. The Phillies got nervous that the Braves in the National League East would get JT and the Phillies gave in and they gave JT Realmuto $23.1 million a year for five years. And JT, the minute the Phillies agreed to that, said yes to the deal. JT stuck to his principles. He wanted to be the highest paid catcher ever in order to make a difference to those catchers coming after him. And he did it. The Philadelphia Phillies gave in to his demands and they will regret the day. They did not give him seven or eight years. They only had to give him five, but five is a long time for a catcher. JT is turning 30. JT will not be able at 35 unless he is Yadier Molina. He will not be able to do what he's doing now but the Phillies had no choice. The Phillies will learn to regret this decision in a very significant way, but today they don't. Today they celebrate, except today they are not a better team. It is the hardest thing to do when you're an executive of a baseball team or any team to re-sign your own free agents is supposed to feel good. It's supposed to make your fan base happy because they demand it but it doesn't make your team better. By definition, it's the same guys. Just getting paid more. When you are, when you are a championship team or you have a, uh, a long playoff run and you keep that team intact, that's one thing. The Philadelphia Phillies have not made the playoffs since Coca helped me. I want to say 2011 but I could be wrong. I don't know why that'd be in my head because I shouldn't know something as ridiculous as when the Phillies last made the playoffs. But let's say it's 2011. They signed Bryce Harper. This is his third year with them. They have not made the playoffs with Harper. It is 2011, Coca. That's hard to imagine. Thank you. JT, this will be his second year with the team. They did not make the playoffs last year, even with expanded playoffs. They don't have enough pitching. They count on... Nola and Velasquez, they don't have a bullpen, although they've tried to shore up their bullpen this year. They fired Gabe Kapler and hired Joe Girardi. The fact of the matter is they have not won 81 games since 2011, and you're not talking about a small market team like the Marlins. This is a big market team with big revenue. And the Phillies brought in Dave Dombrowski this offseason an exec who loves to spend money, an exec who people claim is a winning executive because he has some rings to prove it. But just re-signing JT Realmuto is the worst possible plan, just like re-signing your own free agent always is because there's no incremental improvement. It's like standing in place. The pressure to sign your own guy is so significant from the media, from your fan base, that owners do it all the time. They feel as though that they will do their fan base a solid. Hey, we kept our homegrown guy. Well, JT's not homegrown, but we kept our own free agent. 
We took our young player who we drafted and we kept him and we signed him. I'm a sucker for that. We did that with Giancarlo Stanton thinking it would make a difference. It didn't do squat. It didn't make us win. It didn't increase the revenue needle. It didn't do a thing. Philly will realize that being Tampa is the smartest way to run your team. You don't fall in love with your own guys. You don't sign your guys to long-term deals. You don't put yourself in a position where you've got players who cannot, by definition, outperform their contract. You must have players outperforming their contract in order to win. JT Ralamuto at $23 million a year, I couldn't be happier for him, but there is no way he can outperform his contract, just like there's no way Bryce Harper can outperform his contract. When you've got enough players who can't do it, you end up being what the Phillies are, which is a team that will continue to be mediocre. Okay. You know, when I didn't do a show yesterday, I, I should have said to Coca, just tweet out my pick because I had prepared to do a show. We had done our pre-show routine on Tuesday night, and then I got symptoms again, so did not do a show yesterday. But the pick of the day was going to be the Sixers over the Lakers. The Sixers were getting four points. The Sixers covered that. And that would have gotten us to 500, Coca, all the way back because we're hot. We were 10 and 12, and we had on Tuesdays or Mondays, Tuesday's show, we had the Jazz over the Knicks. You guys were panicked when the Jazz were losing to the Knicks at halftime, but the Jazz did cover that 11-point spread. I hope you remember that Tuesday night. So we're now 11-12. and 12. We are rebounding very well. The pick of the day as we try to get to 500 is going to be the Phoenix Suns giving one and a half to the Golden State Warriors. The Suns and Warriors both played last night. The Warriors are actually overvalued now because they have played well with Steph Curry back. The Suns are a better team. That line should be way more than one and a half. For some reason, the Suns are undervalued and the Warriors are overvalued. So take the Suns and let's get back to 500 for Christ's sake. We're 11 and 12. After the break, we're going to review a movie starring Vanessa Kirby. And we're going to talk about another unfortunate situation that took place in the National Football League. We'll be right back. The 82-game preseason is in the books, and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. From what you've seen so far, do you think they'll be a first-time winner of the NBA championship? If the Pacers, Clippers, Suns, Magic, Pelicans, or T-Wolves win, you win at plus 650. That's six teams to root for, six chances to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SAMSON. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 
21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you. Thank you for making it through the gauntlet of commercials. Thank you for staying with me. I know it's tough. I want to do this show every day, uh, and I generally do. Don't take a lot of vacations, as CBS knows and Coca knows. And uh, it's been difficult with COVID, whether it's some wheezing that you have heard and you followed up with me on or some coughing or just unbelievable fatigue. Could not do a show yesterday. Very happy to be back today. Thank you for downloading and subscribing. Please keep telling your friends about Nothing Personal because we're growing this Nothing Personal Army one listener at a time, and it's working. So let's keep going. We're also on YouTube every day. Nothing Personal with David Sampson is the YouTube channel. Just hit subscribe. And this week, we're going to try to do not try, not try, Coca. We're not going to try. We are going to have a mailbag bonus episode because we do them at the end of the month. You go on Apple, you rate, review, ask a question on there within your review, and we do fun episodes at the end of every month. So one of the things that we get to do on Nothing Personal with you is there is so much content out there, so much streaming, so many movies that uh, whether you go to the AMC theaters or whether you invest in AMC theaters, there's a little nugget for those of you not paying attention to what's going on. I was an early investor in AMC because I bought a lot of popcorn and candy at their theaters. Yeah, no, I'm not an investor in the actual stock of AMC, which is why I'm still doing nothing personal. <laughs> I'll always do it. I'm never stopping. In any case, I watch a movie every day, even with COVID, it's been hard. It took me uh, basically 14 hours to get through a movie because I can't concentrate for long periods of time. I fall asleep. I get tired. I get a headache because of COVID, <clears throat> but I still get through a movie every single day. Yesterday, or the day before, I can't remember which day, I watched Portrait of a Young Woman, and I think we reviewed that on Tuesday's show. <clears throat> I followed that up with a movie that I was confusing it with called Pieces of a Woman. When they were both coming out, I didn't know the difference between the two because I don't really do and it's Promising Young Woman. I don't know what I just said. Did I say Portrait Coca? I, did we review Promising Young Woman this week? I thought we did. We did. Okay. So I followed that up with the double feature of Pieces of a Woman. Pieces of a Woman is on Netflix. It stars Vanessa Kirby, Ellen Burstyn, and Shia LaBeouf. Ellen Burstyn, who plays the mother of Vanessa Kirby. Vanessa Kirby, you may know her from Mission Impossible. She played the, um, I can't remember, it's some spider character name. It's not, a, it's not a, a comic book character, but her nickname, I want to say, was something spider-related, but I can't remember. Anyway, I know her from About Time, where she played Rachel McAdams' friend in the movie About Time. She is now grown up and quite a good actress. This is a movie about tragedy. And it's Shia LaBeouf. Sorry, Coca. Thank you. This is a movie about loss. The first half hour of the movie is about Shia uh, and Vanessa, who are married, and they are having a child. 
And during childbirth, this is not a spoiler alert, the child, there is a problem with the childbirth. The movie is then about how people deal with grief, how families deal with grief, how individuals within a relationship deal with grief as a couple and as individuals. It is powerful. It is sad. It is perfectly acted. It is nuanced. It is not an action movie. It is not a shoot 'em up movie. It is a movie for people who are willing to dig deep into a subject that makes us all uncomfortable, and that is grief. Grief is the one emotion that everyone who is born will feel. There's some people who are sociopaths who feel no empathy, or there's some people who feel no happiness. There's some people who feel no sadness. Grief, however, which is differentiated for me from sadness, grief is something that will be felt by everyone. And how people deal with it is extremely personal. There is no one way. Great movies are made, great conversations are had, great books are read over how different people deal with grief, the stages of grief. As a longtime connoisseur of quashing my emotions, of pretending they don't exist, of looking the other way when it comes to feeling anything, that is a non-tenable solution to grief. When you watch this movie, Pieces of a Woman, the reason it's called Pieces of a Woman, in my opinion, is that you are watching a woman fall to pieces. You are watching the different pieces of a woman react to the different stages of grief. You are watching the different stages that a mother, a grandmother, and a husband go through. Please, please watch this movie. I sometimes have a hard time watching movies when there are actors who do things that I don't agree with. As you all may know, FKA Twigs has filed a lawsuit for emotional and physical abuse against Shia LaBeouf. Domestic violence, you've heard me talk about on this show. There's a lot of things that I can look the other way domestic violence, violence against women, violence against your partner. As angry as I've ever been, and I don't have a temper, I don't yell, I don't think I've ever yelled. I have a much more biting, caustic way of showing when I feel displeasure that manifests itself with condescending tones and, and words and sentences and flexing intelligence, far more so than yelling or berating. Domestic violence for me is something that is in the same category as murder. To beat up someone who is unable to defend themselves, maybe this comes from me being small and bullied, not physically, just threatened, as you know, because I've told you on this show, I've never been punched with my mouth. It's a miracle. Never thrown a punch either, never would do it, not because I'm small, because that I would rather hurt people with words, which is far worse in many cases. Leagues have to deal with domestic violence all the time. I've dealt with players who've had steroid rage, roid rage, we call it, 
players and actors and all those who believe that their shit doesn't stink, who believe that they can do no wrong, somehow believe that they can be above the law as well. People who engage in domestic violence are sick. They are sick mentally. They need help. But that does not excuse, while insanity is a defense in criminal law, there are people who argue that anyone who could violently abuse their partner are insane. People who could take another person's life are by definition insane. We had a situation that happened yesterday with a member of the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle Seahawks have a player named Chad Wheeler. Chad Wheeler has now been charged with several felonies, including first-degree domestic violence assault, domestic violence unlawful imprisonment, and resisting arrest. Chad Wheeler beat up his girlfriend so badly that she was almost unrecognizable. The Seattle Seahawks immediately distanced themselves from Chad Wheeler in a very interesting statement where they both made it very clear he was no longer a member of the team because he was a free agent. If he had been a member of the team, they would have released him immediately. Guilty until proven innocent when it comes to domestic violence. The NFL has shown that if you commit domestic violence and you are a marginal player, you'll get released. If you are a good player, you will find another job. Always count on the National Football League and other teams to look the other way when there is someone who can help them win as long as there is an explanation, an amount of remorse. Players show remorse when they realize they can't earn a living playing because they can't find a team. So then they say, oh, I'm remorseful, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that, I won't do that again. Please give me another chance because I run fast and catch and throw the ball very well. When you're a marginal player, you don't get that chance. Chad Wheeler will never get another chance to be in the NFL ever, ever. The Seahawks, while distancing, <clears throat> the Seahawks, while distancing themselves from Chad Wheeler, also said that they wanted to give him help. They said they hope that he receives help. And they put in the statement a number that you can call if you are suffering at the hands of a domestic violent person in a domestic violent relationship and you have been abused. I am perfectly okay with the Seahawks statement, but I would only point out to you that that statement would have been far different had he been Russell Wilson. Chad Wheeler has immediately started his public rehabilitation he immediately got on Twitter and took the advice of his agent or family and said that events happened over the weekend from a manic episode. I'm deeply sorry for the pain and suffering I've caused to my girlfriend and her family. I apologize profusely for the turmoil that I've caused to my family, teammates, fans, and those closest to me. The most important thing now is that she gets the care she needs and I get help. It's time for me to walk away from football and get the help I need to never again pose a threat to another. I cannot express my sorrow or remorse enough. I am truly ashamed 
Mental illness is a very tough subject and conversation to have. When mental illness makes you do something that you would otherwise not do, that can be legally used as an excuse for your behavior. You cannot blame ever the victim in domestic violence. You cannot say the person should have just picked up the phone or taken the kids and gotten out of the house or left. Battered woman syndrome is a real syndrome where you don't feel you can leave and you feel like it's not going to happen again and then it keeps happening again and you suffer from what Einstein said is the definition of insanity, which is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Going back to the abuser in the relationship and thinking and expecting that will be the final time. I do hope that Chad Wheeler gets the help that he needs. And I do hope that the criminal justice system continues to hold him and others accountable, even if they do get the help they need. Because when you commit a crime like that, where you almost kill your partner, in my opinion, insanity is not a defense to that. You cannot say that you had a manic episode and that explains your behavior. And I have a good understanding of manic episodes, having not suffered from one myself, so as good as you can get without having had one. I've been around people who have been in manic episodes. I've seen what manic episodes are, and I've seen how unlucky people can get when you are the victim of someone who's in a manic episode or how lucky you can get when someone's in a manic episode and manages not to hurt anyone, including themselves. It is the same conversation that we've had about drinking and driving. Sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you don't. Manic episodes can be explained by mental illness, but being drunk and driving can be explained by mental illness as well. And if I'm going to be consistent as a consequentialist, I have to be consistent. As a consequentialist, I believe in the result of the act dictates the level of the punishment. When you run a team, whether it's baseball or football, you put yourself in a position where you have to be the judge and jury so many times. I spent more sleepless nights than a regular insomniac would when I had to think about players who we had who were involved in issues like that. What to do and how to do it, how to be fair, how to be unemotional about the response, how not to take into account the level of the player, the talent of the player. And the problem is there is no organization that does it perfectly. There is no organization that runs their team with a blind eye toward the talent of the player. There is no organization that runs their organization with a blind eye toward the money involved in both the player and the results on the field. There is no organization who will every time, all the time, have the same response to the same set of facts, no matter how hard we all try, and believe me, we try. The Seahawks were very quick to respond, as many teams are. Especially in this day and age, there are certain lines that are crossed 
where you can never go back again. But those lines keep changing. And when you are an executive of a team, you have to find a point of center. And the point of center is always going to be based on business. Always. This is nothing personal.